What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show, we're joined by a very special guest, my friend and yours, Jason Quick of The Athletic, who has been covering the Trailblazers longer and better than anybody else. And we are thrilled to have him. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Michael. I'm really looking forward to t- chatting with you because I miss you, buddy. I know. Back in the day, we'd get to you know shoot the shit on the pregame and on press row. And now we're stuck exchanging texts after Zoom teleconferences. The world has changed, <laughs> Jason. Yeah, not in a good way. No, uh, maybe we'll get back to being in person. Um, I'm I'm trying not to look too far into the future because this year has taught me maybe not to do that so much. <laughs> exactly. But um, let's forget the future. The Blazers have played three games. Let's talk about the present. Um, I think the big story early in the season is that the Blazers probably have too many players that can play on an, on any given night. And it has given Terry Stotts some trouble maybe that he hasn't had in the past. And I think it really centers around two guys, centers around Gary Trent Jr. and Carmelo Anthony. So I want to talk about them. How do you think, how, what do you make of Gary Trent Jr.'s six-minute outing against Houston and then his response after that against the Lakers? I don't know really what to make out of his five minutes and 55-second outing. Um, I mean, I get... Terry could say that, you know, CJ had it going and that he liked Derek Jones Jr.'s uh, defense on James Harden. Um, but, you know, Gary Trent Jr. is a very good player. And he's entering – this is a very important year for him and for the organization. Uh, this organization likes to, to keep guys. And, you know, and they'll, they'll still have that right, but – I, I think you want Gary in a good frame of mind. And, and it was just, it was odd. I, I think that's the best way to put it. Um, and his response though was very encouraging. I think that's where you want a young player's mind to be is, okay, you're only going to play me six minutes. I'm going to show you next game that I deserve to be out there. And this is what I can do. And I thought Dame really put it eloquently in that, you know, a lot of times young guys kind of get in their own way and get frustrated and pout about it and start blaming. And Gary did the opposite. And uh, I think that's not only bodes well for him down the road, but it sets an example for the team that this is how you handle these types of nights is the next time you get a chance, you bust your balls and you go out there and show that you deserve to be on the court. And, you know, as I wrote today, championship teams have that kind of mentality that, okay, on some nights I'm going to have to sacrifice or somebody else is going to have to sacrifice, but we're all in this for the betterment of the team. And uh, so I thought it was really valuable um, what happened against the Lakers. Yeah. I mean, it was, it is a little weird for, for a guy with his, sort of, I, I don't know if resume is the right word, but his track record, you know, he'd had that breakout exactly. in the bubble. He was clearly the, be- the one of the best young players. He's very obviously one of the guys who deserves to play every night. It's weird for him to have to have an FU game in game three. Um, I didn't see yeah. that coming. And that's the confusing. And, and really, 
you know, I get a little, um, you know, it's not doing Gary justice by just saying he had a breakout in the bubble. If you remember, you know, way back to January last year when he played on his birthday at Oklahoma City and had 30 points, and then and the you know, into January and yeah, into January and February he was hitting game ceiling shots against the Spurs, against Miami. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, the this was more than seven good players for before the bubble, and he was one of their seven good players, like or six guys yeah. basically they could trust, and he was one of them. This wasn't just some blossoming in the bubble, I guess is what I was getting at. He's got a large body of work, uh, certainly more than than Anthony. Um, so it's bizarre that he only played five minutes and 55 seconds. And I wish the coach could explain it better. Maybe he doesn't have to. Um, but I think the important thing in a grand scheme of things is, is how he reacted to it. And uh, it's very encouraging. Absolutely. I, my read on um, Terry's, uh, as you so eloquently put it, well-dressed word salad um, was that he knew that he, he knew that he screwed up and he was not, he just, instead of, he was not capable in that moment to being like, yeah, whoops, which um, is his own failing. But to me, it came off as someone who knew he'd screwed up, had watched his failings kind of played out in front of him, maybe not failings, but watched his poor decision made out, played out in front of him and then said, oh man, I have to, I have to talk to these jerks about how I very clearly screwed up. I, and then he just, he was on the defensive before the question even landed. Yeah, you're probably right, and it probably didn't help that I asked the question. Uh, yeah, well, Jason, you're the you one. Who, you're <laughs> the one who stirs the pot. We need more of you in this world. Oh um, boy! But yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. It, obviously, um, consider the source, as they say. I I yeah. think there's I think there's another part of the sort of rotation crunch. Um, you know, Zach Collins isn't even healthy. He's going to add another layer to this when he's when he's available and. Obviously, there's a portion of the fan base that's clamoring for Harry Giles. So ignoring those two, um, what Stotts does with Carmelo's minutes, I think, is the next sort yeah. of big wrinkle here, right? Uh, yep. He's, he didn't play against the Lakers, and the bench was better. It's undeniable. What do you, how do you see his role playing out going forward, and do you think he can fit in as a productive member of a, of a bench, of this bench group? Well, Terry Stotts today uh, in Los Angeles at practice said that, and by the way, for those who don't know, Carmelo Anthony rejoined the team uh, Tuesday in Los Angeles, practiced with them, and Terry Stotts said he will play Wednesday against the Clippers and that he will not lose his spot in the rotation. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's two things at work here, Michael, is one, the Blazers kind of made this promise to him that yep. we're going to protect your legacy and that the stewards, you know, we're going to the treat you of the legacy. Yes. Uh, custodians. Oh, custodians. Oh man. Cause yeah. I got to get that one right. Custodians of your <laughs> legacy. Um, so they, they, they've made this promise to them that you're going to be treated with respect. You're going to play, you know, X amount of minutes. Um, but at the same time, this team is so talented that, you have to earn your minutes. Your play yep. has to warrant you being out there uh, or else that starts to break down the fiber of a team. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw this too often uh, before in the past. You know, the one that comes uh, to mind is Detlef Shrimp when he joined the Blazers 
mm-hmm. in the middle of the 2000-2001 season, I think. He came, and Stacey Ogden was a starter, kind of a real glue guy, and then all of a sudden, that left shrimp was getting his minutes, and it really rubbed people the wrong way, and it became a divide in that locker room. Now, Carmelo has not played well in his two games. Uh, he has not shot well. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I don't want to pile on him and say he's done, he's washed, but he, he needs to play well. Yep. And if he doesn't, then it's going to become – kind of the elephant in the room again. And, and Terry's going to have to find some way to massage this. Uh, you know, I, I guess we'll cross that bridge when it comes. And, you know, Melo plays against the Clippers and goes one for nine or something, then, but still gets his 25 and Gary plays 13, then, then we're probably got something brewing. But uh, it, it, this is by far and away the toughest job Terry Stotts has faced since he's been in Portland. Because the expectations are through the roof. He's got a ton of options, but it's not set in stone. Almost every other team he's had in Portland, it's easy to say, this is my starting five. These are the guys coming off the bench. Or the decision was the ninth and tenth guy and it said, cool, here's right. our eight. Here's our certain eight. And I don't think even that is set in stone right now. Like, I think you've got your five, right. but eventually Rodney Hood is going to need more minutes. And then eventually you're dealing with Zach and Ennis, and then eventually it's what do you, you know, what do you do with Melo? How yeah. do you find minutes for Gary Trent Jr.? Do you need minutes for Simons? It's it's everything beyond the starting group, and if the starting yeah. group is only there kind of by default. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. I think so, this is the biggest challenge that Terry has faced, and I think it's for the first time since the Pelican series, I feel like the the he has real, real, real pressure on him to be like, okay, if you're a good coach, go ahead and show us. No question. Uh, and a couple of things. I mean, one, I think coaches have to be careful in the NBA of, you know, a guy has a bad game and, and the fans are all going to, and this is going to happen this year, I, I, I'm telling you, where whether it be Ennis Cantor or Rodney Hood or Carmelo or even Trent, they have a bad game and then everyone kind of puts their magnifying glass on that player's warts, yep. you know. Well, he shouldn't be playing because of this and that. And it, it's what – if that seeps into the coach, you know, Larry Brown was, was famous, obviously a Hall of Fame coach, but he would kind of tend to focus on players, what they can't do, instead of, you know, some coaches really focus on what a player can do. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, players kind of feed off more is when you're looking at the positives, what they can bring in a positive aspect. But once a coach kind of starts – hearing stuff or focusing on what you can't do, then, you know, you can get a divide. Um, so it'll be interesting. And, and I think that's one thing that while this is a luxury, uh, or I, I think that Terry really has to view this as a luxury, that if a guy doesn't have it that night, then it's time to give the next guy a chance. But you're not necessarily going to lose your job because of, one or two bad games in a row. Yeah, I, I, I'm not ready to bury Carmelo. Like, I don't think he's looked good at all. And But I'm not saying after two games, get this fool out of here. I'm just saying, let yeah. him post up a little bit less. Like, he was really good in the bubble when he was a spot-up shooter. Like, slightly change what he does on offense, and he's probably significantly more effective. Like, for me, yeah. like, specifically with him, I think, I think there's an obvious, easy tweak um, that you can just get more out of him. And look, 
Carmelo is really smart. Yep. He really is. Yep. And don't think that he didn't see how the Blazers played against the Lakers. And don't think that his antenna isn't up a little bit saying, okay, they look pretty damn good without me. How can I fit in here? How, how can I help this? How can I be a part of this? And, you know, maybe that's not putting up as many shots as he has been because, boy, when he's been getting the ball, he's been letting it fly. They, it's going um, up. It is going up when he gets it. Yeah. And I remember when he first got here last year, I was surprised by what, what a good passer he was. And totally. we have a willingness to be a playmaker. Right. And we haven't seen that uh, in this early season so far. So uh, I think he's really smart. And I, and I think he wants to make this work. I do think he has gone through an evolution in the way he views himself. And so I, I think he uh, doesn't I, – I think he less – he's less apt to think that I'm the man. I, I think, still think he wants to be. And, and they've told him that, hey, in the second unit, you can be a high-volume shot guy you know, offense runs through you. And I, I think that's maybe crippling him a little bit right now. I think he just needs to be a, you know, a piece in the cog right now, or our cog in the wheel, you know, to, to help everything go. And I think maybe sitting out and watching the Blazers and particularly the second unit run so smoothly, I think he's smart enough to know that, uh, okay, maybe he needs to adapt a little bit. Yeah, I think but that's... It sure is going to make Wednesday interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, it, Gary Trent might not play. He's questionable with a calf injury that he hurt on a late three-pointer against the yeah. Lakers. So it'd be better, you know, full squad so we could kind of see the drama play out immediately. But we might have to wait until the weekend if uh, to see all the whole crew and the real decisions Terry has to make when the whole crew's there. I also think the the custodians of legacy thing maybe could cut both ways because if Mello is now acutely aware of his legacy he doesn't want it to be that he couldn't fit in ever off the bench I mean perhaps I'm right. saying this is a possibility of a generous read and that he says okay part of part of Mello going out in a way he wants to go out is is that he has to figure out how to fit in because the sort of knock on him was that he couldn't fit in so I think maybe maybe that sort of his his sense of his legacy the the um the moment that he sort of seemed to grasp while he was out of the league will help him adapt more here than it has in the past yeah and again i go back to he's a really intelligent basketball player and it helps that this team adores him and i yeah. i think i i think dame and cj and you know gary i think they'll all be like hey how can we help you how can we sure. make this work? I, I think, you know, he's not a guy that screwed this old guy. He's, his time's passed. It's my time. There's none of that. No. They adore him, and they will help him as much as they can to, to be effective. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. They're not, he's not getting – they're not going to freeze him out. They are um, – I have never – in my time around the team, obviously you've been around there longer than I have, but I've never seen Dame – sort of have the reverence for someone he's had like for Mello that it was it is eye-opening and I think that will help them kind of figure out what they need to do moving forward yeah I I think this next week is going to be fascinating just to see because not only you know we do have the Mello uh Gary Trent how Stott's going to make it all work 
this is all coming at a time where it looks like this team is starting to come together. I mean, you know, 10 days ago, this was, this team looked brutal. Oh yeah. And for the last six quarters, you know, the second half against Houston and the four quarters against the Lakers, this looks like a pretty good team, you know, and it looks like they're only going to be getting better. Uh, And in particular, you know, defensively, Derek Jones Jr. and Covington, you can just see them getting more, um, I, I hate to use the word aggressive, but uh, I guess that's the best word. They're, they're so confidently defending, you know, not necessarily taking risks, but getting into passing lanes. I'm so surprised how many times Covington gets his hands on balls, you know, he, just he, little deflections and tips close. and disrupts. If he's close, he's getting it. Yeah. And so, you know, we we have that. That's really the bigger story is that this team is coming together. And, you know, as a side story, there are these little bits and pieces that are still need to be – nobody's sure where where everything fits yet. So I think that's kind of the, you know, view from 30,000 feet is that everything's coming together and there are a few little things uh, still to be decided. Yeah, well, let's let's come back in the second segment and talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about, I think the intensity has changed, like very obviously for this team, basically over the last six quarters, like you mentioned. So I want, I want to talk about that in the second segment. But before we get there, I want to tell my listeners about betonline.ag. You want to bet on Dame's MVP chances? You want to bet on Gary Trent Jr. winning sixth man of the year after a hot shooting game against the Lakers? There's one place to do it and one place that we trust. That's betonline, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% off welcome bonus. Listen, the NBA is in full swing. College football is entering bowl season, championship season. The NFL is entering the playoffs. This is a time to get to your online sports book. So don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on that action. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right. So we're still chatting here with Jason Quick of The Athletic. We talked about Gary Trent Jr., Carmelo Anthony, and the Blazers' rotation in that first segment. But now shift gears a little bit. Jason brought this up at the end of the segment is the Blazers, they they kind of look okay. They looked really, 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 really bad, like seven reallys. And now they kind of look like the decent to, to even good basketball team we kind of thought they might be. What over the first three games do you think gives you sort of hope that what they're doing is sustainable, Jason? Well, first off, I think Yusuf Nurkic can be better than he was or has been. Um, and that's got to be really encouraging for, for Blazers fans. I, I think Yusuf was huge in the final minutes of the Lakers game. He had a couple really <clears throat> important plays. Uh, but we all know that Yusuf can be better, and I, and I think he will be better. Um, but I think what, what should give Blazer fans hopes is – the way they played defense the last six quarters. I mean, that everyone knows that what has held the Blazers back in the past has been their defense. And now, I mean, Derek Jones Jr. is as advertised, perhaps even better than I imagined 
from a defensive standpoint. I mean, the way he played Harden and LeBron, yeah, they put up numbers, but they had to work pretty hard for it. And, uh, and the way that Covington played Anthony Davis, I mean, Anthony Davis was not even close to a factor last night. And he wasn't involved in the game, Pat- basically. What's that? I said he was barely involved in the game. They just they yeah. took him out of the game, and he's been a guy who's wrecked the Blazers for years. Yes, and so that is really, really encouraging because that has been the thing about the Blazers. It's not only defense, but they don't have guys who can stop the elite players, the Kawhi Leonard's, you know, uh, LeBron's. They didn't have that type of personnel. Now it appears that they might. And uh, that has to be very, very encouraging for the Blazers. So uh, that those two things are the things that really kind of stand out to me. And then also, boy, how good did Rodney Hood look last night? I mean, they were pretty a little bit. Huh? Yeah, I mean, 15 and a half minutes. But, boy, that, that little uh, spin dribble and then no-look pass to, to Cantor for a lay-in, uh, the spring that he has on his jumper – uh, I thought that was really, really encouraging. I talked to Rodney today after practice, and he said they're still going to kind of inch back in with this uh, with this playing time. They want to be really careful with it. They're not going to rush him too much. Uh, again, last night, 15 and a half minutes, so he'll probably be in that range again. But his minutes are getting better. And, uh, you know, I noted this on Twitter in the Houston game. I thought Rodney's minutes – to start the fourth quarter against the Rockets were really important. He got a deflection for a steal, drew a charge. Uh, it's those little things that make a team complete. And uh, so I think Yusuf's going to get better. I think Rodney's going to get better. And I think the defense has been – the defensive acquisitions in Covington and, and Jones have been as advertised, if not better. Yeah, I, I... – I'd hate saying that sort of defense is all effort. I think that undersells how much sort of skill and IQ um, it takes to play good defense against um, really a lot good... of instinct too. Yeah, totally. Um, so it's just like, it's not just play hard because then that is, that suggests that like every player is capable of being a good defender. And that's just simply not true. But I think it's pretty obvious that at halftime of the Houston game, whatever Dame said, like, Hey, we suck mm-hmm. right now. Like, are we going to play hard or not? It it clicked like they they have. Is that what you're seeing too? Like I just think they they've just been more intense, been more alert since sort of in the last six quarters. No question. And I I think it even started before that halftime of Houston in the practice uh, before that game where you know Cantor said that Dame came and said, "Hey, we need to get better now," and then yeah. they played a, a pretty cruddy first half, and then it was kind of reiterated probably in stronger language and <laughs> a little bit more urgency, you know? So uh, again, you know, I mean, how many times can we say this? Dame is an incredible motivator. He inspires people. And not only that, he's got a, he's got a great sense of when and how to do it. He, he's got his finger on the pulse of this team and he's a master at studying body language and realizing where people are at. And I think he didn't like what he was seeing from some people. So uh, I do think, though, that obviously something clicked at halftime of the Houston game because they played a 
uh, a great third quarter against the Rockets. I think they gave up, what was it, 17 points or something? Yeah, 17 points. And then, um, you know, I thought against the Lakers, that was obviously their best effort of the season. So uh, things are trending definitely in the right way. Yeah, they, they looked they looked like it, it's kind of all making sense. How much how much of that do you do you say is them kind of learning a handful of new defensive principles? Like do you think it's just sort of um we were impatient with this new defense, or do you think this was really just kind of like they needed to be sh- like just like sharper and better on stuff that they're capable of? Um or is it obviously the the classic Terry Stotts a little bit of both? A bit of everything. I'm just gonna say that. You know what, but let's let's bring the focus back on Stotts for a little bit and, and give him some credit here. They finally had some practices, and you can tell that those practices were productive. This team looks organized. They look like they know what they're doing now. And, you know, while a bunch of us, me included, were panicking about their preseason and then their opener, you know, Terry kept harping that we haven't had a lot of practices. We've only had seven practices. And then he got three in a row uh, in, and then another one after the, after the Utah game. So, or maybe even two. So I, I think we're seeing that Terry Stotts can teach and coach and his staff can, you know, if they're given time, uh, they can teach things. So uh, I think some credit needs to be given there and also some perspective that, Yes, this was a rush preseason. Everyone had a rush preseason, though. <clears throat> but uh, once the Blazers did get a hunk of time where they could sit and really focus on what they were doing, uh, you saw a market improvement. Yeah, I, I do worry that when we publish this episode, the Lakers are going yeah, to get are gonna get pounded by the Clippers, who just lost by 50. And um, yep. all this optimism is going to look a little bit um, foolish, but I. Uh, well, that's the NBA though, Mike, you, you have true. to deal with what's in front of you, you know? And, and that's why, you know, people are always like, yo, you're so knee jerk, this, that. Well, all you can do is evaluate what's in front of you. And uh, right now it looks like the Blazers are turning in the right way. Yeah. I, I think, but yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not, I, I'm a little worried about um, specifically their chances against a team that just lost by 50. But um, beyond that, I think you're, it's why on this podcast, um, I don't really do game recaps or game previews because I I think it's more valuable to kind of think of trends and what we've seen from the trends um, because they'll help you learn more about the team than saying like um, going quarter by quarter through what they did. It's just, you kind of, kind of, you got to get a, you're, finger on the pulse, get a sense of what, of how the team's playing and try to learn from sort of what the vibe is and what you've seen as opposed to, uh, as opposed to drilling down on each individual game, because as soon as they finish up with the Clippers, they'll be headed to two more over the weekend. And, you know, we'll be three games in by the time I drop another podcast. Another note though, they, they will be getting the Clippers on the back end of a back-to-back Clippers are playing Minnesota tonight. Yeah. Kawhi's not playing. Right. Yep. Kawhi's not playing, so it'll be interesting if Kawhi plays. Uh, you know, a little bit of a benefit to be getting the team again on the back end of a back-to-back. But uh, I, you know, I, you can dread when you cover a team. You kind of look at the schedule and you're like, oh my god, how am I going to get through this season? You know, yeah. <clears throat> game game start just running in 
and, and becoming a blur running into each other. But it's great when you have a night like Wednesday where I'm looking forward to the Blazer game. I'm curious to see if they can follow that up. I'm curious to see how Terry uses uh, his rotation. I'm curious to see what the Clippers have. And I think you have to embrace those type of nights in the, in a long NBA season that when you actually are going to the TV with some anticipation and, and some interest in what's going on. Yeah. Listeners, if you, you probably don't appreciate this because many of you are diehard fans, but um, if a guy who's been on the blazer beat for two decades <laughs> is excited about a midweek game, to end in two weeks into the season the team is fun this is this it seems yep. like this seems like a small deal from you listeners but to me my ears are perking up i'm looking like a little puppy here and here and jason quick excited about a midweek nba game in year 21 on the beat here so maybe 22 well, and, and keep, keep in mind though mike this is a season unlike many others that i've covered in that this feels like a real make or break year for what we know is the Blazers right now, the Scott Olshay regime, the way the direction this team is heading. If they flame out again, there's going to be probably some wholesale changes. And, I agree. You know, so, so that's an important backdrop to everything that's happening as we're talking about this stuff, you know, and, and why there's maybe a little intrigue about a midweek game. So, uh, that's why I think this whole year is going to be uh, fascinating. And I think that's why maybe you're seeing Terry a little bit on edge, you know, uh, he's been pretty defensive, I think, and pretty sharp at times. And I think that's an indication that he's feeling a little pressure. You know, he knows yeah. that he probably needs to, to produce at a high level this year. Absolutely. Let's, I, I want to talk a little bit about that. That's my next in my notes here. You've, you've anticipated both these segments. It's almost like you've covered <laughs> the team for a while. Uh, you've got a real sense of, of uh, what the big, big stories are. So I want to come back in the third segment and just talk about sort of the urgency around this franchise. Cause I think um, maybe more than I've ever experienced, there is a palpable sense of urgency, but before we get there, y'all know what time it is. It's time to talk about bill bar. Bill bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. That's what it is. That's what they're doing. They're making delicious protein bars. They're not messing around. If you have dabbled in the world of protein bars, you know sometimes they can be chalky and dry and gross. That's not what Bill Bar's doing. They're making delicious bars like caramel brownie, coconut almond, raspberry, orange, double chocolate, salted caramel. 18 amazing flavors, all of which are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They got that candy bar-like texture, and every single one of these bars is low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. So get your hands on some of these. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass first point guard, still like Richmond, still listen to Lockdown Blazers, and we're still chatting here with Jason Quick of The Athletic. We talked about the Blazers' rotations. We talked about uh, sort of the, the direction the team seems to be heading. They seem to have righted the ship a little bit after a troubling preseason and open to the year. But after these last two games, they look like they're headed in the right direction. But Jason touched on this in the, in the second segment. And I want to close out the show talking about this. 
there seems to be in a way that I have not experienced with this team is a a real sense of urgency, uh, which is strange to say, because I'm not around the team like I've been, you know, over the last six years. I'm I'm on the Zoom conferences occasionally, but there just is a sense that this is a big year and that this is I think it starts with Dame and Jason, you, you know, as well as anyone that there is, is that, do you get a sense that Dame is at a point where he's feeling that sense of urgency? Yeah, no question. And, you know, I think that was illustrated in his kind of off season point that he made to Neil Olshay that, Hey, let's go for it. You know, I think he realizes that, that, time's ticking on his career. I mean, he's 30 now um, and he wants to get it done. And so there's no question. I mean, look, this team has kind of, uh, yeah, they made the the Western conference finals uh, in 2019, but it's largely been this kind of in the same spot, kind of spinning their wheels and haven't made any real huge pushes outside of that. 2019 run and I think um, I think what Neil did this offseason really put I, 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 I just think he put the cards on the table and said look we're going for it we need to see some uh, some steps forward and I think everyone feels it because you know Nine years is a long time for a coach, GM, and franchise player to be together. And yep. it's like, okay, let's look at our body of work over eight-plus years now. And, okay, one, you've won a what, handful of, of playoff series. But, you know, there comes a time when, uh, when ownership kind of says, this isn't working. It's been a, giving you guys a long a long time to do something and we haven't gotten to the promised land. So we probably need to shift gears, you know, nine years is still, it's incredible. It's incredible that uh, this regime has lasted this long and they deserve to be. I mean, I, I think Neil is really, really smart. Uh, anybody, I know that a lot of fans like to rip on him and stuff, but if you sit and talk basketball with Neil O'Shea, he is incredibly, incredibly sharp. Uh, and Terry obviously is a very good coach. Uh, I think he's incredibly bright with the X's and O's and stuff. So it's not surprising that, um, they've lasted nine years. It's just surprising that a, a, an ownership group has given them so much time, if that makes sense. Totally. I, I think it is, if you were just to say, uh, you know, this is executive X and, and coach Y and here's their resume. How long do you think they would last at any given organization? And it's it's a couple first round outs. It's an eighth place finish. It's all these things. And and of course, coming off that we hadn't won, they hadn't won a, a playoff series in 20 years or whatever it was um, prior to that, but 15 years prior to that. But I don't think you say looking just at the resume blindly, oh, this is, you know, these are these are dudes you want around for a decade. This is the exact type of pairing you want running a team. But if you also measure it against a lot of other franchises, I think a lot of teams would like to be consistent playoff yeah. type teams. 
They would want to be a team yeah. that, you know, is in the running to make the Western Conference Finals each year, even if if they've only done it once in in eight eight plus years together. So it's it's definitely there's um I see both sides of the people who saying I can't believe they've made it this long. And also like, why would you get rid of what works? Yeah. And I think, you know, too, is that they've I think they've done a really good job of understanding the market, meaning that Character matters. I mean, Neil has brought in player after player who are of high character. There's been no knuckleheads, really, outside of the maybe the first year where there was, and I don't even want to call them knuckleheads, you know, the J.J. Hickson's who could be late and Thomas Robinson who maybe got a little disgruntled about playing time and stuff. But there haven't been any, you know, dummies who just do stupid stuff that embarrass your franchise. Right. He has brought in really good people. And also they, they do things the right way. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Dane, but a lot of it has to do with the system that Neil has set up here uh, with the practice facility and how players are treated and what's important. So they've set up a really model franchise and they stand for the right things. I mean, uh, all these guys are pretty good guys, and they're, and they're easy to root for. So I, I think that has played in a, into a part because in Portland, that stuff matters. I mean, I think a lot of people, there's obviously your diehards are just like, no, I want a title, it's win or, or else. But there's also a large segment, I think, in Portland who are like, you know what, if we have a good group of guys who uh, are easily embraced who we easily want to embrace and they're still good, that that's okay. And I don't, that came out wrong. I, I still think people want this team to go on, but it, you know what I mean? Like, no, there, there is an aspect I think of like blazer fan that says like, I, I want to like this team. Like part of being exactly. a fan of this team is liking this team. And I think they've yeah. done a, a good job of, of, um, of being, of, of, of having types of guys that you can root for. Um, that allow you to appreciate maybe beyond a first round exit in the playoffs. Right. While, while going to the, having good guys while going to the playoffs seven straight years. That's, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's, I know that, um, that some of sort of just like the rumor mill is, is mostly meaningless. And I think like particularly the Giannis Antetokounmpo stuff is meaningless. There's nothing there. Um, they were going oh, to God, work that out. That was the stupidest story. Uh, it's basically, it's a story that confirms that Giannis Antetokounmpo and Damian Lillard have each other's phone <laughs> numbers. Um, <laughs> they, they're so definitely bad. capable of talking. Um, but <laughs> I do think that story coming out, and I do think the James Harden putting Portland on the list is an indicator that Damian Lillard is maybe not openly recruiting dudes, but is is open to the idea of it in a way that he hasn't been in the past. And to me, I read that as, as a sort of that different feeling of urgency is that in the past, you know, he would have Harden might not have put Dame and Portland on the list because, you know, Dame wouldn't have returned his text or, or even considered the idea. And I'm not saying that there's a lot of, um, I don't think James Harden's coming here. I don't think there's anything. There's a, it's a total nothing burger with honest Giannis Antetokounmpo. But the fact that the Blazers are kind of in those headlines gives me a sense that behind the scenes, maybe there is a sense of urgency from Dame that has not been there in the past as he gets into year nine of his career. Am I, yeah, it, maybe is that I, fair? I, I don't think, 
Well, I don't think Dame had anything to do with, with Harden. I, I think Harden putting the Blazers on his list had to deal with his relationship with Neil. Um, but I, I do think that Dame is probably more open to I, – I think he realizes that you need big names to win. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I think Dame is really careful about how he goes about that because he knows that if they're going to go and get a big guy, somebody's going to have to leave. And that means that he was, you know, behind the, str- the scenes pulling strings on – somebody else's livelihood. Yeah, He's been very, very vocal about that, yeah. that he doesn't want, doesn't want to be that guy. But I do, I do agree with your premise that, yeah, I think he's getting a little more willing to go the, let's get a super team or get another superstar in here so we can win a title. Yeah. I, I just think he's been around the league enough to know that the teams that win championships have two top 10 players on the roster and that yep. the Blazers don't have that right now. Um, you know, maybe he has a really high opinion of CJ and he thinks he's one of the 15 best players in the league, but I think he just knows like you need two, two unquestioned stars at a minimum right now to win an NBA championship. And the Blazers aren't, aren't there yet. Um, and I don't think he, he's like, know, go ahead. I, I was just thinking the other day that, I think a lot of us uh, didn't realize how special those teams were with Dame in L.A. Yep. Uh, there were two all-stars. The Blazers had two all-stars. Consistently and for three years, of, right? Well, I, I think they were only – I think only once. I, I'd have to look it up. Definitely once in New they, York. Remember I Dame also, got snubbed? I think it was New York and New Orleans because I was there in New okay, York. Okay, yeah. So I think it's twice it. I think it's for sure twice. Yeah. But anyways, the larger things like, I know I didn't appreciate that. And, and part of it was because Dame wasn't quite the player he is now. Right. I mean, Dame has gotten better and, and he's in a, he's in the superstar category, I would say. Sure. So, but, but to your greater point, yeah, you need stars to, to get through playoff series to, you know, so a team has to pick who, who they're going to try to shut down. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, uh, th- that's why I think they need CJ to elevate his game or Nurk to elevate his game. They, they need to be better than we have known them in sure. these past couple of years. They need to be, you know, closer to Dane's level. Yeah, it's I mean it's a big ask but if if you if you're looking for a championship that is the formula. Like with this group that that is it's it's clear the the Blazers number 2 and 3 need to take a take a sizable leap. Um yep. because that's that is the bar to clear to win a title. Uh Jason uh, thank you so 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 much for taking some time out to chat with us. Um I know you were uh you were you were itching to get on this podcast. If we're being honest, you were just dying oh, yeah. to get on here. So I'm glad I could make it happen actually, for you. Get your dreams come true. Yeah, I actually texted you and said I was offended that you had uh, another guest on before you had me, and I was like, "What the hell? I thought we were boys." And uh, so yeah, I forced my way onto your show. That is what. Not that's a, what. A not ashamed does. to admit it. <laughs> That's what a pro yeah. does is he says, how, how dare I not get a radio spot? <laughs> well, Mike, I hope we get to do it again. Yeah, let's, let's, 
let's do it again. Uh, the Blazers are going to keep playing games, I think. Um, like I said, I'm not looking too far into the future. I'll, I'm looking ahead all the way to Sunday at this point. Um, they're finishing out this road trip at Clippers and then two against the Warriors. But yeah, maybe, um, you know, maybe a handful of games in, we can we can reassess where the Blazers are at. We I would love to pick your brain. Like I said at the top of the show, nobody has been covering this team longer and better than you. So it's always a treat to talk Blazers with you. And I frankly, I miss doing it from the good old days when we got to do it in the arena. Yeah, I know it. In the in the coat room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have recorded right? a, a podcast in the coat room at the Moda Center. Yeah. Um, so yeah. hopefully the hopefully this one's a little better from the comfort of our own homes. Uh, <laughs> if you're looking for more Jason Quick and you don't know where to find him, it is amazing that you listen to this podcast and don't know about that. But get a subscription to The Athletic. Uh, his work alone is worth it. And then you get the bonus of reading work from all of his other colleagues from sports all around this fine nation. And the united kingdom they got a huge soccer vertical as well also please tell your friends about this podcast they can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts just search locked on blazers will be there waiting for you appreciate you listening talk to you soon